This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am sitting here with Dr. Brad Dieter. We are live broadcasting on Science Driven Nutrition. Science Driven Nutrition is an affiliated site of Eat to Perform. It's kind of the more sciencey part, and we get to deep dive a lot of the issues. And so today we actually have a special broadcast because uh, I have a little bit of conflict on Monday. And we have a really good theme. Um, Brad, did you want to say hi to everyone before we get rolling? Yeah, good morning, everybody. It's uh, Saturday. It's we're, we're ready to get after it. And I'm excited about the topic today. I think this will be something that you know a lot of people will take some really good, useful information from and hopefully uh, give people a lot of good perspective that they need. Yeah, so we are starting our coaches certification um, next weekend. And so we're opting in, and there's always kind of a limited, um, we always limit the spots, at least initially, um, because we kind of have some early bird pricing and stuff like that. And so we put the link to opt in for that. But the reason why I mentioned that is because what we are doing the last couple days are case studies based on the trends that coaches are putting in related to their personal thing. And so what we're doing is sort of analyzing everyone's situation, and it's been really super interesting. And I want to kind of juxtapose that against what the new modules are going to be, which is basically going to be focused more on kind of the, the recomp and normalization piece, right, and some of the things that, would be different under that scenario. So we're going to try and get to a little Q&A. I know a lot of the time, you know, Brad will do Ask Dr. Brad's and we get all kinds of questions related to all kinds of cool stuff. Um, this is going to be a little bit more um, grassroots type stuff, right? We're going to talk a little bit more about the basics. And I think a lot of the time, you know, people focus on the, uh, you know, the high-minded stuff. You know, like, hey, what do you think about beta alanine? And it's like, well, I'm 28% body fat. <laughs> you know, like, I don't discount the value of beta alanine, but that's probably not the biggest thing going on, right? And so these themes allow all of our coaches not only to analyze their situation appropriately, and we actually had a great example, and that's going to be the example I'm going to riff off of a little bit, but then also kind of talk about some of the things that I think can be a little bit distracting. Anything you want to say before we jump into kind of the basic idea? Because I have to tell you guys, I'm sort of like dropping this on Brad as we go. So you're going to sort of see how Brad and I conversate, right? Um, so yeah. that's going to be fun. No, I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about this because I think, you know, like you mentioned, a lot of times people focus a lot on the really high-level stuff. Um, and one of the secrets that I think most people don't really know is that the most successful and the most advanced people don't focus on the high-level stuff. They've basically taken a lot of that stuff and kind of put that in the appropriate basket where it is. And, and they focus on all the other things that really are what the biggest ROI are, right? Like if I have so much energy, I'm going to put it into 98% of it into what I know is the most effective things I need to do. And a lot of the high-level stuff makes for great internet conversations, uh, but in the, in the real world and practicality, sometimes we lose the forest for the trees. So we, uh, 
I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're 8%, you know what I mean? Beta alanine probably does make a big difference to you, right? Because that extra 2% is going to be the big thing. And when you look at the way that Brad and I schedule our routine, sure, we're probably using creatine. Maybe we're cycling in beta alanine on occasion. You know, these types of things are all part of the grand picture, but they're a very, very small part, right? And so one of the things I wanted to talk about about as it relates to Denise's trend because her trend sheet was was really super good and there wasn't a lot of problems. See, when there's a few things when you look at the theme sheets and if you're if you're an Need to Perform member and you're not doing a trend sheet, I want to know why, right? And I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why you might not be doing a trend sheet is you don't want to know. Right, or you're really not putting in the effort that you could be to get what you bought, right? And so, to a certain extent, the trend sheets are, are pretty helpful in that regard. What did, uh, go ahead. those people who don't have trend sheets, kind of what exactly does that mean for people who are listening who don't know what a trend sheet is? So, a trend sheet tracks uh, a trend sheet is fairly simple, it, it tracks uh, weight, tracks sleep, tracks your macros. And I'm trying to think of, uh, oh, and calorie burned, right? And then, you know, we ask if it was a workout day. And then there's a note section. And, you know, some people have incorporated a number of other things. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, and we actually talked about it last Monday's um, webinar. But... One of the things that I said in Denise's trend sheet, because obviously I'm talking to a lot of the coaches that we, we work with in the certification, and one of the things I said was the only variance that anyone has typically is if they're doing less, they just do less than that. And then if less than that doesn't work, well, then they try intermittent fasting. And if intermittent fasting doesn't work, then they try the HCH diet or whatever they call HCG or whatever it is, you know, and when your only variance is less, 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 then you're not really seeing what the true value of variance is. So I'm going to talk about what Denise did amazing, okay? And then I'm going to talk a little bit about the small changes that I make. Here's the big picture here, okay? You guys want too acute of a response a lot of the time very specifically on a daily basis and when you don't get that what do you do right do you do what i do do you do what brad does or do you panic and just snuggle back up to less right because it's sort of like every single time you're playing monopoly and you go back to start every single time and that start is not necessarily required Right, because you haven't done your full diligence as it relates to, you know, this or that. Now, the one thing I'm not saying is, is, okay, I've done this, you know, um, I'm gonna do it for six months. I'm gonna gain 30 pounds in that scenario, and wave my hand and go, I don't see what's going on. We would know fairly quickly with your trend sheet, you know what's happening and what you've been able to try and the things that you need to try differently like as an example one of the um 
But but I want to I want to I want to but remind me to talk about the sleep clinic. But one thing that that I think happens, you know, and I'm, I just want to be very specific on this because it, it gets confusing at times for people, is if every day you want the scale to go down, you're sort of missing the point. Okay, there's two types of variants that we really want to see. We want to see scale variants, and we also want to see calorie variants. Because if we're not trying all the different things available to us in the toolbox, doesn't mean that your trend won't be you know, headed downward or even in some cases, right? That's, that's a big piece of, of the new modules that are going to be coming out for the, for the certification. Um, but when things are trending up as they are for me right now, I'm going to walk you through the differences between what I'm doing compared to what Denise did, which, like I said, was mostly right. So I want to get the sleep clinic piece out. There has been a lot of people doing the trend sheets, and a number of them are pointing out that they only get four hours sleep. If you're only getting four hours sleep, fat loss is not your biggest priority. Right? I'm just saying that right now. And if you think fat loss is your biggest priority, well, guess what will happen if you can figure out a way to get eight hours sleep? Now, one of the recommendations that I made to someone was for them to look at a sleep clinic. The one thing I don't, don't totally love is using medication for sleep. I'd much rather them try behavioral type stuff. And if you want to know someone who's been really super successful with that model, you're looking at one right now. I was a chronic insomniac, um, had all kinds of issues, and I'm not going to say I don't even have them now. It, it, it you know, there are times where my sleep's not deep enough, and the dog barks at three o'clock in the morning, and I can't get back to sleep. You know, um, but it's not something that rules my life. Right. And when we talk about accumulated stress, when we talk about you know, trying to work out under those scenarios and get progress, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to do that. And so that is, you know, probably I mean, if you ask me, you know, what's most important, working out macros or sleep, I would pick sleep every single time. Um, any disagreement there, or there, or, or is there any wiggle room, Brad? Because I mean, I'm I'm obviously open to being wrong, but I know that getting an adequate amount of sleep changed my life fundamentally. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think sleep is one of those things that's really underrated, um, and most people don't get enough of it, myself included. Um, but you know, sometimes I, I make the bed I lay in, right, with, with with life, and I have to deal with those the consequences that come with it. But I think a lot of people have this idea that they can just, if they just think, oh, if I just go to bed earlier and I'll sleep more and that'll fix the problem. But most people don't realize that the quality of your sleep is, you can't just decide one day I'm going to sleep more. There's a lot of other things that are affecting your sleep. You know, how are your stress levels? How are you eating? How is your training? Right? So it's not like, I mean, you didn't just decide one day that uh, you... We're just going to sleep more, right? You, have, I mean, there's a lot of other pieces you have to get into place before you could actually sleep well. That's um, a so great. There's so many key things that around your sleep that you have to take care of before the sleep actually becomes what it needs to be. That's a great story. Okay, so 
most people know they've probably seen the pictures of me when you google paul nobles what you start to get you don't get well you get some ab pictures now which is nice um but what <laughs> what, what you typically get is a fat guy playing poker right and um I played poker semi-professionally as a hobby for many, many years and stayed up, you know, in the middle of the night. My stress levels were relatively high, dealing with the fluctuations and stuff like this. And so the sacrifice that I made for my sleep to get better, I quit poker, right? So there are some of you out there that are hearing that and going, well, I can't quit my job. And that might be right for you, you know, and you might have to figure out some way to prioritize it. But I am telling you that one of the things that I was best at in the world, I stopped doing it. Another thing about it, though, was that as I started to get better sleep and as I was able to start to pursue fitness and put a lot of the energy that I was putting into poker into meal planning and 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 kind of breaking down that piece of things I saw this future I saw that there was probably a lot of people in my situation that we could help you know and ultimately that's what became eat to perform and you know it's sort of interesting because I think we were really good four years ago um, we're really good now you know and in five years, we're going to be even better because I think the formula that almost everybody has is less, right? That's what all the rest of the internet is putting out there. That's why you see that expanding banana in all your, your ads, you know, the one food you don't eat. And it's like, it's like, okay, we get it. We get it. Bananas are making me fat, but truthfully, it's not that. You know, it really, you know, it, it's, it's people wanting to, um, you know, one of the, one of the clients that, that talked to me this morning, one of the things that she said was, she said, for the first time in my life, I feel in control of my situation. And the reason why I do is because of variance. So a number of the things that Denise was doing right, she is actually in a performance-focused fat loss cycle, so she's she's down close to eight pounds, I believe, um, in roughly six weeks. So, I mean, pretty much, you know, textbook awesomeness. The, the way that she's doing it, though, is, is also textbook the way we teach it, but not textbook the way people do it, okay? So when we look at performance-focused fat loss cycles, and, and, and I'm going to juxtapo juxtapose my situation to her situation as a preview of the recomp modules that are going to be coming up because that's going to be the difference between the two. So one, she did a real good job of cycling days. And her calories were never really super low. Um, she kept carbohydrates in a lot of the time, and she used Wave Plus days to spike up often. And it was really, and, and, and most of the people commenting on that video were really commenting on how, oh my God, her weight went up so much on that day, that would freak me out. Yeah, that's it. That's it right there, you know, 
What happens for a lot of people, okay, is their weight spikes up and then they panic and they start doing like the most crazy stuff. And it's not consistent with what I would think would work for them. You know, if, if all of a sudden, you know, you go out and I would say, you know, a big thing is the weekends, right? I mean, it's Saturday, right? A lot of people probably had more beer and pizza last night than they had. They don't want to check the scale today because they know it's going to be up. And then all of a sudden today it's chicken wings and pizza. And then Sunday, well, I've already blown everything. You know, might as well just enjoy myself on a Sunday. And at Sunday night you get a large blizzard, you know. Um, and you just consumed 15,000 calories in three days, you know. And, you know, then you come back to us on Monday and go, my body's broken. Well, your body's not broken. Your body's actually doing exactly what your body is supposed to be doing in that situation to handle that amount of calories. In fact, I think the good majority of people that do finally get accountable on Monday are actually sort of shocked that the weight's not up more than it normally would be, right? And that's actually somewhat telling, too, that... So here's the big piece. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of big pieces throughout this, okay? And we, we will probably transcribe this because I think it's going to be one of the ones that's going to be more insightful for people. When people are doing things wrong, they're doing the same things wrong over and over again, okay? So when you look at someone that's morbidly obese, they're doing the three-day weekend thing that most of us do or a lot of us do, right, without a whole lot of accountability, but they're doing it seven days a week, and often they're cuddling up the food as comfort and stuff like this. The reverse are the people trying to eat clean, right, or really focused on food purity Monday through Friday, and then all of a sudden they're you know, off the wheels, you know, the next three days. Then there's the, I'm doing keto people, right? So they're, they're, you know, mostly fibrous vegetables and, and, you know, meats, mostly focused on fat. And then they sort of get stuck. And the one thing that I've heard in the past you know, I'm not a huge fan of skinny fat. I do like puffy paleo a little bit better where you kind of get this cortisol accumulation and it doesn't allow you to process some of that water and so you kind of plateau. The way that you get out of plateaus is fairly simple. Variance, right? And then if you have variance and your scale weight's going up, your calories are cycling, your your you know, sometimes eating foods you enjoy, but most of the time you're eating whole foods, that's going to be a plus. Then you go, okay, but how can I acutely figure out what's work, what works and what doesn't? Well, you do that by tracking the trends, right? And if the trend every single day is that you're eating 113 grams of carbs, right? And your weight goes from say 150 pounds to 157, the thing you're snuggling up to is the thing that's causing you the pain, right? And you know what? I just described human behavior in 101, 
right? It, it's the re it's the reason why you know people tend to gravitate towards relationships that hurt them. You know, um, now there's an interesting part about the whole why you would do something that's clearly not working over and over again, right? And it's also the reason why these trend sheets, if you can start to kind of look at them and sort of analyze your situation, you know, in a correct manner, really makes a big difference. One, um, when your, you know, weight is going up or when you're clinging to the same thing over and over again, um, it gives you action right? It's an actionable step. It's the wrong step, right? And it's frustrating. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, I'm broken. There's no way I can be fixed, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be frustrating to try and figure out where how variance works for you. But it will be less frustrating than trying that shitty program that you were doing, right? Even though it was actionable, you know, I mean, one of the reasons why people like going to the gym, I got four hours sleep. I've only eaten 900 calories, but I'm going to the gym. Why? Because the gym is an actionable step. When you are in the situation, you know, and you haven't completely thrown up your hands and just going Twinkies all the time, right? You're doing so because you like taking action, you know? But when you start to take actionable steps, and those actionable steps show you results over time. So there's a lot of people that will go, okay, well, he mentioned low-carbing. Low-carb works for me every single time. Well, yeah, low-carb also works for me every single time when I'm high-carbing, right? So if your Mountain Dew is in Twinkies, you know, most of the time, um, I mean, let's, let's be honest about the whole low-carbing thing, okay? When you're eating chicken and kale, you know, even if you're eating, you know, steak and kale, you know, you're really not having a lot of calories in that scenario. You know, um, show me the person that's low carbing, you know, eating 8,000 calories and I'll show you that's the secret that's going to cure everything. Right. It's not it's not the 8,000 cal. You know, they're not doing the 8,000 calories plan. Right. What they're doing is is they're artificially affecting their hunger signaling, right? Not using the variance, not figuring it out. And once again, I mean, people, you know, I always hate it when people say, oh, you know, Paul's solution is more carbs all the time. Paul, you know, had 125 grams of carbs on Wednesday. Paul had, you know, part of what makes the variance work is the fact that there is variance, right? But the, the, People want to gravitate to these really super simplistic solutions because they don't want to have kind of self-analysis. And, and if you think about why you don't want to have self-analysis, it's real simple. You don't want to know, right? And if you don't want There's to know... There's a lot of truths that got to be uh, yeah, addressed. Yeah, if you don't want to know, quit pretending to care. Quit, quit throwing up your arms and going, well, I'm just broken. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe you've given up a little too quickly. Maybe we really haven't tried all the things available in, to, in the toolbox. Um, I think go ahead, a, Brad. Another, there's another piece of this that I think goes really, really under-talked about. Um, and this was kind of a perfect example. So 
there's been one of the, the clients in each perform who's been having some troubles and um, sent us an email the other day and was asking, you know, what kind of his next step should be. And we, you know, we looked at calories and body composition and pictures. And I was like, dude, we really got to get some muscle on your brain. Cause you're, you know, I mean, you, you, you're the perfect candidate of you got a muscle problem. So I'm like, all right, we need to put together a long-term plan to put some muscle on your frame. And he's like, okay, long-term eight to 12 weeks. No, I'm like four to six years, right? Like people have this idea of your solutions are four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks away. When in reality, a lot of these problems just require putting in some key pieces of information into action and stay in the course over a long period of time, right? It's like, if I'm trying to add in some muscle, I can't just wake up tomorrow and have the result. Okay, but but what Brad is saying there, some people will hear and go, yeah, dude, I ain't down for the four to six year plan. He's not saying that you need to be down for the four to six years plans. You will see results in eight to 12 weeks. And I'll give you a great example of how that works. One, I'm on the four to six year plan. Okay. I am a relatively under muscled person. I did not, you know, gravitate to fitness until my forties. Right. And so, and, and really, you know, that's the only time that my approach has, has gone well. And I'm, I put on 35 pounds of muscle in that process over the last six to seven years, right? But you will see results right off the bat. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. My recent performance focused fat loss. My weight went down to 177.8. Over the course of last year, I put on six pounds of muscle. The, as my... As I've reversed out of a deficit cycle, my wife is continuously commenting on your body is changing so much. It's unreal. Here's what people don't do. I can look at my chest and go, my chest is a lagging area. I can look at my glutes and go, my glutes are a lagging area. And guess what ends up happening? When I do bench press, you know, and I really give focus on my bench, I take off my shirt, I go in front of the mirror and I go, that's how I want to look, right? Yesterday, I did deadlifts. I supersetted that with ab work, right? Um, did uh, wide grip pull-ups. I woke up. You know, and, and the day was really focused on cycling carbs um, in. And I was actually even at a little bit of a deficit yesterday. Um, but when I woke up, my abs were filled. You know, my 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 lats were, were you know, my lats right now. I mean, I'm touching my lats right now and they're, they're swollen. You know, they're a little bit inflamed. When I woke up this morning, I looked like a muscular guy, right? People discount the value of dedicated muscle training. We all like the CrossFit. We all like the rocks. We all like the running. But when you add in the other piece and you're cycling some level of carbs with lower fats, some level of higher fats, let's talk about that higher fat thing, though, real quick. 
because you know it's it's easy to get distracted in these scenarios and so Brad I'm gonna need you to sort of keep me on point but when I'm looking at trend sheets here's what I'm seeing over and over again you guys think high fat days are 125 grams and it depends right but what we're seeing more often than not is when people are struggling they have a high fat day and they have a high carb day on the same day now you can do those occasionally right but if you're doing those consistently that can be problematic so and and oh by the way fat does store as fat right so fat can store as fat without it but there are some positives to not having carbohydrates in that scenario so we can talk a little bit about that piece but let's be honest with ourselves you know what i'm saying it's friday we're having pizza we want to have some beers you don't you know when you look at pizza what is it it's it's probably some level of olive oil and some level of flour it's got all the good stuff in it why do people like donuts because it's carbohydrates and fats together when they join together it makes like for a magical experience right you're not the only one that likes it <laughs> you're not the only one that likes you know sweet and sour there, there's reason why this shit you know works in nature you know and so I think we need to kind of have that discussion. But when you're looking at your trends, okay, if you look at yesterday, my focus was a little bit more on carbohydrates. My fats actually weren't that high. I think my fats ended up being like 60 grams. You know, <laughs> that's probably a little bit lower than I would like them to be normally. But those types of days are, are occasionally, and we don't see those days all that often. What we tend to see is 90 grams to 100 grams and then 275 grams of fats. So first thing you would want to do is, well, let's see what a 70 gram day would look like. Let's see what a 60 gram day. You're not going to die because you had 30 grams of fat less when you're eating 90 grams of fat normally, right? You would be able to test a bit of the idea, you know, and this is part of the problem. There's, there's, there's two schools. There's the school that thinks fats are bad and then there's school to think carbs are bad and what we're saying is no food is bad it's all useful there are some foods that work better than others and obviously the good majority of the time you want to have you know meats fruits vegetables right but it's the other stuff that kind of make our lives interesting you know and enjoyable and so we try to keep those things in with occasionally focusing on you know, specific result. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I think people, you just mentioned it and kind of wanted to drive this point home is we can manipulate carbs and fat and all sorts of stuff to just get a specific effect at specific times, right? So, you know, perfect example is, you know, everybody has this idea of if we go really low fat, we're going to screw everything up. And really, that's not true. Like, you got to have some substantial periods of really low fat to, to cause some issues. And so, one of the things is if you have somebody who's like a, a high level athlete and they're trying to maintain some level of training while they're doing like a fat loss phase, you know, you can have days where, you know, the days where they're training hard, you basically make their fat intake as low as possible to keep their protein and keep their carbs in and then just say, okay, these are going to be really low fat days. And then on your next rest day, we're just going to switch it and have you kind of add in a little bit more fat to make up for that difference because we can get lower calorie intakes while still maintaining some level of training. 
So it's one of those things where you've got to be able to manipulate those things and not be so, you have to have this all the time. That's where the variance piece is so key. Yeah, so so the one thing that I really liked about Denise's approach, there's going to be a lot of people that will, you know, there's a hashtag that ETP works when you do the work, right? And, you know, there's a lot of truth to that, you know. Denise would be a great example. So the one thing that you consistently see over the last couple months is Denise's burns are like super high, like like ungodly, you know. She's doing everything that she can to make sure that she's successful as it relates to, you know, the, the progress that she's looking to get. And clearly at this point, I mean, what, what she's saying is I'd rather eat more food and I'd rather prioritize work because, I mean, like her high days are mostly somewhere in the 22 to 2300. And, you know, she's got days where she's eating 3000. Um, and, and there are some days obviously where she's at like 1700, you know, 1700, 1800, but they're not, there's not a lot of them. Um, because she's prioritizing the moving part. So think to yourself, is that the way that you do it, right? Is that the way that you've had success, right? Now, I'm going to point out the piece that I think that she will need to work on as we reverse her out of things, right? But when you look at adherence, when you look at willpower, and the ability to do all these things. And, and, and like I said, you know, one of the people, you know, watching Denise's video, they were like, oh my God, her, her weight went up so much. But she, she knew that she had the switch to bring it down and she did it, you know, and work was a big part of that. What I want to do, though, is sort of focus on how a person that is recomping would view that. So yesterday, as I mentioned, I, I can't remember, I don't have the number right now, but I think overall my Fitbit burn was 3150 or so. I know it was 31 something. Um, and then I think my calories were at 2500. So that seems like it's a deficit is it a deficit? Is it not a deficit? You know, who knows, right? What I was really focusing on, though, was making sure I didn't do a lot of extra work, right? And the reason why I didn't do a lot of extra work, I had decent sleep. Even though I only slept seven hours the night before, it was deep sleep and I felt rested. Um, most of the morning, you know, in my meetings and stuff like this, I was moving around, right? And I... I you know, almost to the point where I was a little concerned that my burn was getting too high because I wanted my burns to be kind of lower today because I wanted to give good effort, you know, on my lifting. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, I could get in the, the moving piece and make sure that, you know, when we talk about anabolic and catabolic, you're really just trying to push things in more of the correct direction. So for me to have a 5,000 calorie burn on a day where I'm trying to do depth, yeah, it would have brought my weight down, 
right? And I'd feel great about the scale, but the progress that I'm trying to make as it relates to, you know, muscle building over time, I sort of lose in that process. And when you look at the last three days, my weight, you know, normally my ceiling is about 180. There's a couple things about that though, right? So last two to three days, I've woken up 181.5. First of all, we all know this. It's hard to say this to yourself when you're, you know, kind of confused and figuring out what's going on. But we're talking about water, right? And when you look at water manipulation, you know, um, your water is going to be more favorable for your aesthetic when you're doing the work and that water is getting into the muscles and you're able to use it and stuff like that. So, you know, that's another topic for another day. But the point I really want to make is if you came to eat before and you're like, man, I really want to get my body fat percentage lower. And then all of a sudden, you start to fill up your muscles, like your guy, right? That you're the example that, that you made. He might decide that, you know what? A recomp is way better for me because it fits for my mm -hmm. style. And so I'm going to change my approach. You know, maybe, you know, he's 170 pounds, he's 5'11", all of a sudden he's starting to get a little jacked and he changes his routine a little bit. But that's not what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about right now is 217 pound female, right? And all of a sudden she starts to eat to perform. She's weight stable. She's getting stronger. She's feeling confident about herself. You know, it's, it's kind of funny how, you know, when you're doing all this miserable stuff, how miserable you start to feel. That's sort of why I ended up leaving poker, by the way. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of funny when you take people's money for a living and you're super, you know, like into that routine, how, how you would think it would be awesome, but in, in, in effect, it's really not. Um, the problem is, is that as we start to stabilize, a lot of people go, well, I'm really liking where I'm at right now. And so I'm going to put off, you know, what it's going to be. I don't like it when people do that. Okay. When, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes when we're gaining weight, like in my scenario, this is the exact example that I'm going to talk about. I'm at 181.5, but my ceiling's 180, right? So that's what I'm using as my barrier. Now, I don't need to be at 180 every single day, but the trend needs to be at 180. So the last three or four days, the trend has started to go up. So what am I going to do today? Well, I already did my deadlifts yesterday, focused a lot more on body work, okay? I'm going to burn 5,000 calories today. Right? And I'm going to be at a little bit of a deficit. Why? Because I'm trying to address, you know, I'm trying to move the variables that I have in place for me. I might not get to 5,000, but I'm trying to use that as an example. 
that what Denise is doing is fine and it's obviously working well. She's building up. But there's two things that happen. There's a lot of times I can go, well, at 181.5, my muscles are looking great. You know, my wife's coming up to me. She's like grabbing my lats, like their handles. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like you can get intoxicated by that kind of progress. You can get intoxicated by getting stronger by weighing more. And the question is, are you building enough muscle, right? I mean, was that your goal when you came in? You know, I mean, the goal, there's got to be a certain amount of discipline, you know? And from my perspective, you go, well, wow, 5,000 calories, you know, that sounds like a lot. I mean, I'll go ahead and tell you where I'm at right now, you know. Um, I'm at 11.50. If I go for something like a five-mile hike, you know, that's probably going to put me at 25, 26, and I'll probably land at somewhere close to 4,000. So, you know, I can work with that with food. I can work with that with, you know, but, but it's okay to have a deficit piece from an accountability standpoint. What Denise is doing that's different from me is that one, she's in a deficit cycle. So she's trying to actively lose weight. And so having those high burns make a difference for her. What I'm trying to do is just stay accountable, you know. And you know, my, wife, my wife, like, we, we went for a walk right before this. And she's like, I think we should do date night tonight where, you know, date night, our date night routine is, is pizza. So almost certainly, you know, 5,000 grams of sodium is not going to be favorable as it relates to my weight. But that's okay because, you know, the work piece will be in place. And I know that the trend line will ultimately be where I want it to be, you know, just because I'm holding on to a little bit of water because I had pizza, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that that water is going to stay there. I want to speak to that a little bit. People look at whooshes as if they're super positive. And I agree, whooshes can be positive. It's, it's also very mentally, you know, it feels great to drop three to four pounds in one day. Whooshes aren't that super positive. It means that you're doing too extreme, right? What you'd rather be is kind of consistent over time and gradually losing. These big extreme fluctuations, now they're useful. They're especially useful with clients with more fat to use. Right. So a client, you know, that's 270 pounds, you know, they're probably going to see more whooshes than, say, Brad or I would. If Brad or I were to have a bunch of whooshes where, you know, we get these big, huge water flushes, it's not going to be favorable for our long term results. What else is leaving? Right. That's what you need to ask yourself. You know, if. You're constantly urinating or doing the other side. You know what I'm saying? What's leaving? You know, you're trying to 
basically use the nutrients that you're putting into your body. Hopefully you're, 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 you know, focused mostly on things that are going to add to the system and not necessarily subtract, but those things can be valuable too. But my point being is that the more consistent you can be, the more variables you're testing, the more control you can have, the better you'll ultimately feel. I know why my weight's up a little bit right now, right? I know that, you know, right now I'm a little bit more focused on kind of the, the you know, the last couple days have been more um, body weight focused, you know, squats, deadlifts, stuff like that. So there hasn't been, I mean, other than hill sprints, there really hasn't been like a long piece, you know? So today I'll have my long piece. It probably won't be too stressful. You know, I'll just go for a hike with my wife, you know? Um, any, any thoughts on that? Because we, we've got like 12 minutes. You know, I'm sure we'd probably have some questions, but we're probably not going to be able to get them. But I, I really feel like, I really feel like we're covering a lot of good ground here. Yeah, so, you know, I think there's one piece that, as we kind of talk a little bit about the recon stuff that we need to kind of address is the signals that we send the body are important, right? When, especially when we talk, when we're talking about like body recomposition versus number on the scale, those are two very, very different approaches, right? Is the number on the scale can be affected by a lot of different things, but the way your body adapts to your training is is pretty specific and so when we talk about you know people who want to want to recomp or things like that is there's two real pieces of that right there's the gaining muscle piece and there's a losing fat piece well sadly most people's training is not designed for the building muscle piece right most people's training is let me do as much caloric expenditure work as possible a lot of people miss the, I need to focus on the muscle piece, right? There's a lot of people who have this assumption of going in and doing a 25 minute chipper wad and then being on the floor um, is the key to building muscle. When in reality, you know, you've got to focus your training on, can I send the right signals to my body to do what I want it to do? And it's, it's not complicated. It's not hard. It just takes, you got to be thoughtful and you got to plan it out. You got to say, okay, well, like Paul, you know, just talked about is, He's got some focused muscle work in, right? You're doing deadlifts, you're doing squatting, you're building in some volume of just getting in muscle activity. And then the fat loss piece of your training comes from building up some sort of deficit. So there's this idea that's kind of floated around there of you can only be anabolic or catabolic, right? You can only be building muscle or burning fat. That's really not true. I mean, that's really one of those things that gets lost because people have not been smart about their training is you got to send a muscle building signal because that's a key piece, right? You tell your muscles to grow, they're going to grow. And then you've got to maintain some level of calories that fits within a fat loss framework. But you, 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 your body doesn't have to be entirely anabolic or entirely catabolic all at the same time, right? It's, it's, it can be a little bit of both. So there's two points there. Sort of what Brad's talking about is that if you're doing like these big, huge burns, you know, um, the idea there is that you're catabolic from the standpoint of reducing adipose tissue. But when you do too much of something, you know, you don't get to choose which tissue, right? So sometimes you're not going to really allow, you know, sort of the way that I'm spacing my training, 
you know, and you look at the variance of my training, you know, the good majority of the time I'm pushing myself towards anabolic. What most people are doing though, Brad, let's be honest, they're only, they're earning their donut, you know, they're earning a Snickers, right? That's, that's going to be a big piece. The other thing about anabolic catabolic, if you're anabolic all the time, you're not just adding tissue. A lot of times you're adding fat, right? And so, so your aspirations to become a bodybuilder suddenly move towards being a power lifter, right? Because it fits your body style a little bit better, right? And you know, you know, I mean, I heard somebody say this, and I thought this was so true. Because um, somebody was complaining about being a bodybuilder, and they said, you literally picked the most miserable sport in the world, and you're crying about why you're miserable. You shouldn't have picked this sport, you know? Um, I do think a little bit of what they're saying is true, and a little bit of what they're saying is not true. I think that there, there's a lot of bodybuilders that actually just become professional dieters, right? And that's not super positive. I think that there are examples that can be held up. You know, we've had them on our podcast. You know, the podcast with John Meadows was phenomenal. I think John John's message is great, mostly whole foods, focus on building. Um, Lane Norton, same thing. You know, um, natural bodybuilder. Um, well, I, I don't know who's a natural bodybuilder or not, but I know in the case of Lane, he talks about uh, that, um, being a big piece of what he does most of us would be very happy to look like lane um but you know lane's message i think is something that everyone needs to hear is that bodybuilding as a general rule is made a whole lot easier when you focus on the bodybuilding part and not just on the dieting part all the time you know and that's really kind of been his rant you know and he sort of faces a lot of criticism in the bodybuilding community because of it. Because, you know, when you look at, you know, the things that people gravitate towards, you know, they, they want to build muscle without, you know, taking on fat. And that becomes difficult to do. And then all of a sudden you're constantly in dieting cycles and you're like, you know what, um... I mean, there's a lot of CrossFitters. I mean, some of the CrossFitters with the best physique. Jason Kalipa, you know, started off as a bodybuilder. That's one of the reasons why he's got so much muscle, you know. So did Rich. People don't know that either. What now? So did Rich. That's what, that's his training style started out doing bodybuilding. Space. I would argue that Rich Rich is still bodybuilding, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, would, I would argue that that's one of the biggest secrets to Rich Froning is the fact that he bodybuilds a fair amount. You know, and when you look at why Rich has such a huge lead on everybody else, and also, by the way, why Jason Galipa's got a huge lead on a lot of people too, is because they came from that standpoint that I can do more if I have stronger muscles. Now, that said, when you look at Rich Froning, I think we, we said this in the last one, Rich Froning 2010 compared to Rich Froning 2016, I mean, he, he looks positively thin. Right. And now he's kind of thicker with more muscle. And, and, and as you've seen CrossFit move towards heavier and move towards, you know, stricter and move towards, you know, all those types of things, it's been just favorable as it relates to Rich. 
And when we talk about the variants that I'm talking about and the pieces and kind of breaking them up, the way that Rich trains and Jason Kalipa trains, if you look at my training sessions, you know, let's say that I have, you know, eight training sessions that are sort of broken up throughout the week. Jason Kalipa and Rich Froning, the way that they break up theirs is very similar. The only difference is they do 22, right? They're also younger, you know, and so their variants. Yeah, right. And their variants, you know, their variants look similar to mine, but I have the 47-year-old, you know, I mean pick last and kickball variants you know what I'm saying like like there's sometimes you know I I mean the fact that Rich Froning found CrossFit was sort of like you going through the world my guess is Rich Froning would have been pretty good at lacrosse as well right it fit his body type you know there's certain sports that now exist that didn't exist you know and you know we often focus a little bit more on females but there's you know another great example that's as good as your example is sam briggs mm-hmm. best example is sam briggs you know she's really long endurance focused but she really has kind of picked up the piece as it relates to building muscle one of the best conversations i've ever had with a crossfit games athlete was with sam briggs now sam briggs is an older athlete too you know so you know her window you know, sort of shuts. I mean, you know, the biggest, you know, how do they say it? The biggest winner over time is, is father time, you know? Um, and, and you know, that, that, that becomes a piece at some point, you know? So the big takeaways here is when you've been trying something and it's not working, stop trying that. You know what I mean? Um, if we're talking about relationships, you know, if you're in an abusive relationship, best thing to do is to get away from it. But there's comfort. You know there's a pain in getting away from that, right? You know, when you, if you ever remember any of the bad relationship that you've had in the past, you probably stuck with them a little longer than you should have. Why? Because the alternative because the alternative was harder, right? The alternative was actually some level of introspection, you know, and when people say, well, I don't really like analyzing the data. No, it's not that you don't like analyzing the data. It's that you don't like the the variance of the data and the truth, you know, and, but that truth is where the magic lies, you know, and, you know, when you say to me, I can't fix my sleep. I only work, I only sleep three hours. That's just me. I'm broken. It's like, well, you're quitting, you know, um, <laughs> like, let, let's just be honest about this stuff. You know, let's quit pretending, you know, that we're actually doing something, you know. I mean, I remember probably we'll end on this, this thing. And I, I mentioned it before. I was at a funeral of someone who died of heart disease. And heart disease runs in my family. This was right when I first started with my fitness journey. And my whole family was together. I was going for a run. And I suggested that we could all go for a hike together. It would be a great way for us to all talk. 
um, and kind of process what was going on because you know I live in Minnesota they live in Louisiana and I said um, but I got to get something in today you know just I, I need to get moving and they're like nah you go you do your thing we're starting on Monday heart disease ain't gonna wait till Monday Sometimes heart sometimes heart disease strikes on Sunday, okay? I'm walking today, okay? You want action? Start doing the opposite of what you, you were doing before. And that action takes actionable results. And that discipline allows for freedom over time. Mm-hmm. So we're going to end on that note. I appreciate everybody listening. And I'll talk to you guys later. Love it, Paul. We'll talk later, man. All right, brother. Adios.